Well, you know, as we have been talking through the end of Ephesians 5 and chapter 6, we've been talking about husbands and wives and children to parents and fathers to their children, and now employers and employees. Each of these come out of two key verses in chapter 5. One in verse 18 that says, be filled with the Spirit. And it's a command of God. And it's saying that we are constantly empty vessels. And so we need to just make a part of our prayer. God, fill me with your spirit. Give me the fruit of your spirit. Give me the power of your spirit. I I love the fact that Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. I'm not a fisher of men, but I am fishing for men. And I have to say, it's the Lord. And then he also says in Acts 1, I will make you witnesses. Excuse me there. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and power. And then the other one comes out of Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another in the fear of God. So it's not just the wife submitting to the husband. It's the husband having an equally heart of submission to the wife. It's not just the kids submitting to the parents, but the parents having that same servant loving heart of of submission unto the father, that example of Jesus as they raise the kids. And now we're going to see it again here today that the employees need to submit to the employer, but the employer needs to submit and have this same equal submissive heart unto God that's easy to entreat, that the workplace is where Jesus is being glorified in Christian companies. Let's read that together in Ephesians 6, verse 5 through 9. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now, first, I just need to talk about the elephant in the room, especially in all that's gone on in the last couple of years with Black Lives Matter and and bringing slavery up as if it happened yesterday. Let's face it, the black community, not all of them, but a big group of them, feel that their current oppressed, violent communities, much in the inner city, are a manifestation of the racism that's been against them since they stepped foot in the country, first as slaves, and then after slaves, slavery almost in a worse situation. (laughs) They went from slavery out of the frying pan into the fire because after slavery, uh, they weren't allowed to own, weren't allowed to get ahead. They lived in a very impoverished communities, came together. It was very dangerous for them. We know the stories uh, back in the 50s and 60s and all the hangings and burnings and murders and and as Martin Luther King and, and, and many of the white people in America trying to say this is wrong, they were put to death. And, and there was strong organizations like the KKK and other white supremacist groups that very much um, oppressed the black man. And the black community, very much uneducated. The schools they're in were not up to par, and so they couldn't get into the colleges, couldn't get the better jobs, except for a small exception. And uh, so the fact is, is that they are now trying to say that the white supremacy is Christianity, because Christianity promotes, encourages slavery. And that Christians use the Bible to excuse their behavior of owning slaves, which is true. 
I wish they had read the Bible because <laughs> uh, they would have not done what they did. But I'm not going to go into depth in this. When we go verse by verse to the Bible and go through the Old Testament on the, on the teachings on slavery, we'll go into in depth. There's much written in Jewish commentaries on the practicality of how slavery really did work in the Jewish community in the Old Testament. But God never promoted or wanted slavery. It was one of the many things he allowed out of concession. Understand, the Jews were in that ancient culture where they had certain things in the culture that they were unwilling to give up. And if God bent the branch so far to get rid of many of the things that he hated and didn't allow, the Jews just would have walked away from them. The branch would have broke, and, and the Jews wouldn't have just said, I don't want to be a part of Judaism. And so out of concession, he allowed polygamy. God doesn't promote polygamy. Yes, in the law, he allows polygamy, and he gives the rules to protect the one that would be the least loved wife and the least loved kids of a multi of a multi uh, wife situation. In that particular situation, the community would decide the polygamist, when he died, the community would decide who was the least loved wife. And her kids got everything. <laughs> the opposite of what the guy would have wanted. Do you think polygamy lasted very long in the Jewish culture? It didn't. He allowed divorce. It was a heated topic from the day the law was made up until the time of Christ. It was a very divisive thing. Can you or can't you divorce? But again, God built into the law protectionism for the woman if divorce happened. And God allowed slavery, not because he wanted it, but he built in protectionism to the slave, for the slave. And so, you know, when, when we look at this, we, we need to understand that historically, up to the present day, slavery is in the world. Slavery has never not existed in the world. It, yes, it existed in our country for way too long, and it was a horrible, evil slavery, especially with the amount of light we had because most of our nation was Christian. It is a greater shame to us than anywhere else in the world. And we are being brought back to that shame and confronted with it, even though we did not do it. Our forefathers did it. But understand, when Nehemiah in chapter 1 prayed, he asked God to forgive him and all his forefathers for the sins they had committed hundreds of years earlier. So it's, it's not something that's unbiblical to, to realize even though we're not going to be punished by God for those sins of our forefathers, we are bearing the consequences of what happened from our forefathers. And to say that, hey, I shouldn't bear any consequences from what my forefathers done, it's, it's not logical, but it's also not biblical. Nehemiah confessed the sins that had happened as a country hundreds of years earlier and that he also, because he was a part of that nation, had also sinned against God. Yeah, I, I know it's, it's a heavy concept, but study it out and see. And so slavery is in the world today. How do we get slaves? Well, mainly slaves come by conquest. One country conquers another country, and everybody in that country is not citizens of the new country. And many of those citizens are enslaved. Everybody loses rights. It sort of depends on the country. You know, Babylon, their thing was to wipe out any identity but being Babylon, being Babylonian. They, they, they caused intermarriages, they got rid of borderlines, and they just wanted to make the whole world Babylonian. But then the next thing with the Medes and Persians, 
They didn't want that. They wanted everybody to keep their identity, but they just wanted everybody to pay taxes to them. But again, there's always a large percentage of the population they will take back to their country to be slaves in their country. That's happened virtually continuously in the human race. So what we did is not unique. It was wrong, extra wrong, because we had the light of Christianity and did that. The next way is indentured servants or indentured slaves. You, you guys, many of your forefathers might have got to America that way. They couldn't afford the boat trip. They couldn't afford the land. They couldn't afford the plow. They couldn't afford the seed. And somebody would sponsor them and they worked the land and, and all of the spoils of that land for years went to the person back who made a lot of money on their investment and eventually the farmer would get their freedom, maybe even get the land. And then there is slavery by people being sold into slavery. In Africa, when one tribe conquered another tribe, they enslaved them. And they would keep them for their own slaves. But when people of the world realized, man, these are, there's a lot of slaves available, they went to those tribes and said, sell us some of your slaves. And that became, one of the, it became really the, one of the greatest income-making businesses for, I don't know, between 100 and 200 years. So these people were already enslaved by another, by another African tribe because that was the African culture to enslave those that you conquered. Typically, they killed off all the parents and they would raise the kids, and the kids would always know their servants of the, this tribe, and they're not a citizen of this tribe, but they're servants in this tribe. And then they would sell them as slaves. That's happening today, is it not? All through the various Muslim countries, especially through Africa, the Muslims come in and they kill all the Christian adults. They take the kids, all the girls they can that they think are halfway pretty, they sell them into sex slavery. And then they take all the boys and they sell them or they keep them and turn them into soldiers under them and raise them up to be soldiers. In time they're 12, 13, they actually have them go and kill some of their Christian family members, if there's any alive, to cement them as soldiers. They, guys, that's happening today, right? We understand that. They estimate today in our country that there are more people in slavery than there was at any time in our history in various ways. Brian, do you have anything to add on that? Absolutely. So Brian, Brian actually works for a ministry that is taking women out of sex trafficking. They're slaves, right? How many sex slaves do you estimate are in our country They're 86% are homegrown, not brought in. Right. So, when this uh, brand new building industry? A $90 billion industry. How many thousands of women do they estimate are slaves right now? Do they have any number at all? Uh, not at I, I've heard 60,000, is what I've heard. Have you heard anything like that? Oh, and Ricky's saying much more than that. Yeah. So, the idea that slavery has stopped at any point in time, I don't think that's true. It's definitely going on throughout the world right now. And it's something that we should be deeply, deeply grieved about, right? And so to, to, to say that the BLM, which I think that is a horrible, evil organization, I don't think it has to do with the, the black men of the past being enslaved. I think it's just a communistic group with all kinds of ideologies that have nothing to do with being racist. It, it's, it's about destroying the family unit as we know it. So I, I, I'm not woke in any way am I woke, okay? Um, I've never been accused of that. 
But I, I am saying that we need to come to terms that finally, after many generations, the black people alive right now have enough dignity that they are now reprocessing the past slavery and they are greatly grieved about it and they are upset that the white man is not. That he should in some way be equally grieved about what the forefathers did. And you know why it is at this time, I don't know. Why it didn't happen 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Why it didn't wait for another 50 years, I don't know. I just know that, yes, we should be. America's slavery was horrible. And um, as Americans, I think we should say, yes, it was grievous. Not give excuses, not try to rationalize it. Just simply agree with them. It was evil, and I am sorry. That's it. We can't really undo anything. They're saying, like when we intern the Japanese, that we should pay something to them. Maybe we should. I don't know how we could. There's too much time that has expired. And I don't know if we could even pay the bill, even though it doesn't seem to matter to the current administration. But uh, that's another point altogether. But the one thing I have to disagree with is that the Bible encourages us, that Christianity is pro-slavery. The opposite is true. A matter of fact, when you look at the Old Testament slavery, they very much distinguished between Jewish slaves and foreign slaves. And Jewish slaves could only be enslaved for six years. And on the, the sixth year, they had to be given their wages. They had to be given supplies they, they were sent out pretty good. They basically had their six years uh, of slavery. The wealth was given back to them. But when you read in the, the Jewish commentaries, it was mainly for people who were not taking care of their families. Often from drunkenness. They didn't plant their fields. They weren't harvesting. They weren't taking care of their family. And the community comes together and says, you are going into slavery and your whole family with you. And so they, they didn't let any, just anybody own slaves. You had to be one of the elders of that community. You would take the slave in and under your care, you know, that was rehab <laughs> and that was retraining how to be a husband and retraining how to be a father, retraining how to be a hard worker. And often at the end of that time, the guy says, I don't want to stop being a slave. And the slave owner's going, I don't want you anymore. Go, here's a bunch of money. Go plant your own field. And yet, because he was so well treated as a slave, he would want to become a slave for life. You know the story. He gets an owl in his ear, and he becomes a bond slave, which was an honorable position in that community. But even under Gentile or other country um, slaves that you bought or got by conquest, it's, it's very clear there could be no oppression. In Exodus 21 and Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15, it, it, it says that if you strike a slave and hurt them, they get to go free. Boy, what was happening in America? We were striking them and beating them to death. We were maiming them. Repeat, I mean, it's just that would not have been permitted in the Jewish culture. If you even knocked out a tooth, they went free. And God says in Leviticus 25, 43, you shall not rule over them with rigor, but you shall fear your God. And Deuteronomy 15, 15, he says, remember you were a slave in Egypt and I judged Egypt because of the cruelty they did to you as a slave. And you think I won't judge you for being a cruel slave owner, you're wrong. I will judge you for being a cruel slave owner. Well, enough of that. Send all cards and letters to Dennis and Kirk.
I'm very sensitive. I can't take negative things. But anyway, Ephesians 6, 5. Here we go, guys. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and in sincerity of heart as to Christ. So bond servants, a slave. A slave is a person who does what the master says. A slave is a person who has no rights. A slave is a person who works all day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never earns anything. Paul called himself a bondservant, <laughs> interesting enough. But here he's saying this is us. And we are to obey those masters. Now, I know for a lot of you, just hair went up on the back of your neck. Going, I've got to obey. So this is, at this time in Rome, most employees were slaves. That's just the way it was in the Roman Empire. There were more slaves than citizens. And the slaves could be a doctor. They could be the accountant. They could be the college professor. They were the tutors. They weren't a bunch of ignorant uh, oppressed people in that way. They had standing in the society, but they would forever never really become a Roman citizen. And the Romans saw themselves as everything and everybody else as nothing. <clears throat> and so he is saying, you need, even though you may be more educated, even though you know more about your boss's business, even though you're the one who educated all his children, <laughs> even though you're his doctor, you still need to have this obedient heart to him because he is over you. And he makes it very clear whether he deserves it or not. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 25, servants, be submissive to your own masters with all fear. That word is reverence, honor, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffer wrongfully. For what credit is to you when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendably before God. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So here Peter is saying, the servant submitting to the master is an exact example of Christ submission identical especially if your master is unreasonable and cruel and harsh Jesus gave you slaves you employees the exact heart you're to have in this situation Christ, in verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who bore himself our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. So Christ brought us salvation us bunch of sinful sheep. He brought salvation because of that attitude, because of that faith, because of conscience towards his father, knowing he wasn't a criminal, knowing he didn't deserve to be beaten, knowing he didn't deserve to hang on the cross. And he was being wronged by the courts. He was being wronged by the Jews. He was being wronged by the Romans. He was being wronged by the whole community of people he loved and taught and fed and healed, they all said, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus was under oppression from everybody. But yet his heart of obedience, his submissive heart did not miss a beat. This is doubly true if your boss is a believer in 1 Timothy 6, 1 and 2, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who are believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather deserve them, but serve them because they are uh, who are benefited, are believers and beloved, 
teach and exhort these things. So there does this psychological game. Christians who are Romans, who have become Christians, but virtually everybody that works for them is, is classified as an indentured servant or some kind of slave from conquest. They, everybody in the entire world has no rights but Romans. So whether you're officially a slave or treated like a slave, everybody is subservient to the Romans. And, and he says here that now this Roman becomes a believer and you as a slave becomes a believer and you're hanging out at church as equals. See, this is, this is where, again, secular history will not tell you, but slavery was destroyed in the Roman Empire because of Christianity. Because so many Romans got saved and they would come to church and be equals at church. We remember the little book of Philemon that Matthias just taught. Here's the slave owner, Philemon, and his slave Onesimus. He runs away because he's unhappy. He gets saved in Rome. Paul leads him to the Lord, brings him back and says, hey, he's pastor Onesimus now. And you need to see him as your brother, not as your slave anymore. And he says here to do it with fear and trembling. Now understand this word, it is, it's, it's, means respect and reverence and honor. Unfortunately, it doesn't mean what the English says here today. It's not the word afraid. Be afraid of your boss. It's not saying that. Trembling, oh, uh, you know, that's not. It, it's just the word trembling is the emotional. There's an emotional. It's in the heart and in the actions. They're combined. There's this true honor that you're giving to your boss saying, God has put him in authority over me. This same term Paul says to have towards Pastor Titus. He says to the Corinthian church, when, when Titus comes, I want you guys to, to have this emotional stirring in your heart to honor him greatly with fear and trembling. And that's how you're to receive him. In sincerity of heart. In, in the King James, it translates it singleness of heart or of mind. It's the opposite of duplicity. So in other words, don't just let it be an act. Have you ever seen people like that? They're like, oh, hi, they really hate your guts, but I'm acting like I like you. It's just creepy, isn't it? This is what he's saying. Don't be stirring with anger on the inside. I can't stand it. You're an idiot. If it wasn't for me, you'd be out of business. But you don't pay me enough. But here I am. Oh, hi, that's so good. I'm so glad you get this job. And, you know, he's saying, no, make it both. Your heart is truly submitted and your actions are in agreement. You're not duplicitous. You're not a hypocrite. There's no guile. In Titus 2, verse 9 and 10, exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. Listen, to be well-pleasing in all things. Not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. They may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Do you understand that? Our heart of honoring our boss is preaching the gospel. Isn't that awesome? When I worked uh, in carpentry, my first job out of college, got that college degree and became a carpenter. And uh, I had a friend of mine who brought me into it. He was a really good Christian. I learned so much from him. But on Fridays... Most guys had a job on the side over the weekend. And on Fridays, you know, before they left, they would go and get a whole bunch of nails, just fill their nails up as much as they could in their bags and screws and, and whatever they could get, they would basically pilfer and they'd go use my boss's nails for their side job. But the very first week I worked, my, my friend, who was also my boss to his boss, said, hey, we need to empty out our bags. So we would go over and get all the 16 penny nail, all the eight, and we would take them and every nail, not one nail. My friend would turn up his bag and not one nail would he take. 
I didn't understand the significance of that. But just being the Christian, being the honest, and what a testimony it was to guys when they saw us emptying our bags out of every possible now to not pilfer and to understand that heart of submission. I had a boss in one of my first jobs in high school. He said, if you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you come at the moment you're supposed to start work, you're late because you got to get the apron on, you got to get your, the check-in, you got to get your mindset, and, and you need to start getting the rhythm of what it was at a chicken shack and to get the rhythm of what's going on with the other workers. So really, the time when you start getting paid, you, you, you didn't rip me off trying to get in the groove not doing work for 15 minutes. And I, I resented it, to be honest with you. But I, I realized I need to submit to that. And what a valuable lesson that was. He was absolutely right. It's one of the rudest things to be late. It's, it's, it shows disrespect, especially in the workplace, being late. Being early shows great respect, doesn't it? And then he says, as to Christ. Now we're going to see this repeatedly in these verses. He says it over and over again, as to Christ, of Christ, doing it to the will of God, as to the Lord. But notice here, if you take these statements earlier, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh, as to Christ. Fear and trembling, as you would to Christ. In sincerity of heart, as you would to Christ. Do you understand this in all the following verses? We're doing it in obedience to God, not man. David Guzik writes in his commentary, the words as to Christ changes our entire perspective as workers. It reminds us that our work can and should be done as if we were working for Jesus. Because we are. That changes everything, doesn't it? Everything. He goes on to say, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. There it is. Not as bond, not as slaves now, but as slaves, you are a slave, but be a slave unto Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Not with eye service, not doing it, you know, when the boss is coming, start working really hard. Oh, oh, man, the boss is going, man, that guy works hard. And then as soon as he's gone, you know, I, I had a, a job uh, between my high school and college here back in Texarkana. I won't give you the details of what we did, but we made the molds to make tires. And I was working with all these ex-Vietnam vets. They were hardcore dudes. But when our boss left, they would literally stop the machines. Everybody would shut, shut down. And they would sit around, this is no joke, drinking beer. And of course, they had a guy by the door keeping an eye. The boss's car is coming, you know, everybody. Everything's going again. I was 19 at the time. And a lot of times I'd be in the middle of a job that my boss gave me and I would keep doing it. And these guys literally were going to beat me up. I don't mean figuratively. They were going to mess me up if I didn't stop working and sit down. Of course, I didn't drink beer, but I had a little New Testament. I would just sit and read it and boy, did that tick them off. I wasn't trying to take them off. It's just I don't want to sit around watching them get drunk. Not with eye service. Not a tip of getting ahead in life is do what's right even when nobody seems to be watching. I think that's the mark of growing up. Solomon very practically, coarsely says, whatever's in your hand finds to do, do with your might. He says, why? Because you're going to be dead soon. That's basically his reasoning. Might as well live life as if it's life. <laughs> You're going to be dead pretty soon. And he says, not as man pleasers. This is, this is saying studying how to please men. It's easy to fall into the trap of wanting to catch the eye of your boss and make him glad he hired you. But that's the wrong motivation. When our motivation is to please people, we can fall into the same bad traps or some bad traps remember the pharisees who believed on jesus they didn't want anybody to know and it says in john 12 43 for they love the praise of men 
more than the praise of God. We're already told, work under Christ. Christ is with us always, right? So really, our boss is always watching us. Our boss is always on the job with us, right? It's not about the human boss. I'm working for Christ as bondservants of Christ. So he says, like Christ did, or as if you were doing it to Christ. It can mean both things. How was Christ a bondservant? Boy, Matthew 20, Jesus says it plainly, verse 25 to 28. But Jesus called, to him, called them to himself and says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your what? Slave. Do you imagine how brash that sounded to the hearers? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve. And above that, to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he says, doing the will of God from where? From the heart. It's not just outward action. I got to do this because the Lord wants me to. I, you know, I know sometimes people tithe and give their offerings like, here, God, Hope you're happy. My car's breaking down, but here's your stinking tithe. God says, keep it. It's not going to give you any heavenly rewards, right? It's got to be joyfully, hilariously, willingly, by faith. In the same way, God doesn't want outward actions. If it's in your heart that you don't want to submit, don't act like it on the outside because you're not getting any brownie points with God. You're not pleasing him. You're not obeying him. When my kids, I would tell them to go clean their room and they shut the door and I heard things slamming up against the wall and I know there's stuff and everything under the bed. I walk in there and I spank them because I don't want them just to clean the room. I want them to clean the room with the right heart, the right attitude, right? In the same way, this is what it's saying. In 1 John 5, 3 it says, this is how we love God, that his commandments, his principles, the things he tells us that are his will, they are not a burden to us. Now, love your enemy. I hate you, Jesus. Pray without ceasing. You're making this hard. <laughs> Meditate in the word day and night. I've got a lot of TV shows to watch. No, it's from the heart. Lord, whatever you ask me to do is not a burden. Your grace is sufficient, and I love pleasing you. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 to 33, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. This same boss I worked with in construction, we worked right up to the last moment. And he would tell me repeatedly, our job today is to make our boss lots of money. So we're going to build as quickly as we can. We're going to get it done as quickly as we can. And if we get this job done, we're going to clock out and not charge him for the rest of the day. We're not going to slow down the job to put in our hours so we get our paycheck. Because in construction, sometimes you can knock things out. And one time we were building this very, very elaborate house in a Liebenhain, way up. It's like where the billionaires live. And they, he had this room that was all these angles and, and we were looking at the plans and we built the whole thing. It just about killed us. And the guy showed up and says, that's completely wrong. And we had to tear it all out. And my friend said, we're working tomorrow for free. Because our boss shouldn't pay for our mistake. Of course, I'm just standing there handing him stuff. But uh, what a good lesson. It's like, yeah. So he made sure, do not pay me for that day. Because we, we didn't make you money today. We didn't, we might as well just stayed home. 
what a, what a great witness that was to me and what a great witness that to my non-Christian boss, by the way. And then verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. So he sort of says it again, doesn't he? He's sort of repeating himself, making an emphatic statement. With goodwill. You know, this word, it, 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 it's benevolence or kindness. A matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 7, it says a husband should render his wife the affections do her. It's the same Greek word, affections. What is this saying? Servants, be kind and affectionate to your employers. Wow, do we see this? It's not just, ah, work here. I don't have to live here. I'm just putting in my time. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm just here to make money. I'm not here to make friends. No, he's saying you need to come to this as worship almost. You need to come to your job as if you're worshiping Christ and you're doing this under Christ as an act of worship, even if it's mowing grass or building something or whatever it is. We need to live a spirit-filled life, don't we? What's that spirit-filled life look like going to work? Full of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and what? Kindness. And what else? Goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Doing service. This is sort of a play on words because it is the word, the, ba- the, the root of the word is doulos, being a slave. He's saying, doing the slave thing. <laughs> You're coming with this kind affectionate towards your master, your slave owner, and you're just doing the slave thing. You're proud of it. You're, you're not saying, oh, I hate being a slave. You're just saying, I'm doing the slave thing with, with honor. I, I, this is who I am. This is what God's placed me under. He's placed me under this authority. And I'm not going to gripe and complain. I'm going to pray about it. And you guys really pay attention here because the way things are going in America, probably another couple of years, we'll all be slaves here. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. But it's too true to be funny, isn't it? So get ready. We're going to be doing this for real. So not grudgingly, but the truth, faith in our hearts unto God in all things. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless, harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I may not run in vain or labor in vain. As to the Lord, as to the Lord, He says it again. Spurgeon nails it on this quote. Grace makes us the servants of God while we still, we are the servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we're attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in this light of heaven. I just think of that verse in 1 Samuel 2.30. If you will honor God, what? God will honor you. And not to men, he says it again. Have a consistent, godly character to the glory of God. In Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Well, verse 8, knowing that, I guess my, did the battery die? Man, I've got a two-battery sermon. We're just about done. I know it's getting late. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So whatever good anyone does. Isn't that amazing? We're down here struggling and sinning and lusting and being angry. and, And all God does is look at all the stuff we do right. Saying, hey, that's a reward in heaven. Hey, that's a reward in heaven. That's a reward. We got a bank vault in heaven of rewards. And God's going to say, man, that time of prayer, that time seeking me, that time sharing the Lord, that time when that boss of yours really treated you wrong and you loved him as if you were loving me. Great is our reward. 
Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward of the inheritance. You serve the Lord Christ. Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be brought into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. Whether we're slave or free, you know, in God's eyes, it doesn't matter whether we're a man or a woman or male, um, whether we're free or slave, Jew or Gentile. But it's interesting here. He says that in God's eyes, in eternal, it, looking at life through eternity, we're all sort of slaves and we're all sort of masters in some ways. So to do your role. But Paul, even though he doesn't like slavery, it's not the top of his list to get people out of slavery. Paul wasn't an abolitionist. He wasn't trying to preach the gospel and overthrow slavery. Not at all. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17 to 24, but as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk and so ordained in all the churches. Is anyone called circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not become circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Listen to verse 20 now. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not concern about it. But if you can, be free. Rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. So we're a slave either way. You were brought at a price. Do, do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. We'll finish it up here in verse 9. And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven. There's no partiality with him. So he basically says, I'm not going to repeat what I just said, but everything I said to the slaves, to the master, or to the employees, to the employers, you masters do exactly the same thing to them. Well, they're to have fear and trembling and honoring me. You need to have the same part of honoring them. Well, I, they need to be submissive to me as unto Christ. Yes, and you need to be submissive unto them as to Christ. I understand the roles we have to play, but it's talking about the character in which we treat somebody. Everything I just said applies to you as well. What did it say in Ephesians 5.21? Submit to one another in the fear of God. Uniquely, the wife is under authority of her husband, so the Bible says submit to her. And uniquely, the employee submits to the employer, so it's unique. But yet the heart of submission is the same in every single person. Give up threatening. That doesn't mean you don't fire a bad employee. <laughs> but it does mean don't motivate them by telling them, you're going to fire, I'm going to fire you. I'm going to dock your wages. I'm going to... No, if they're not going to show up on time, just say, look, if you don't show up time tomorrow or the rest of the week, I'm going to have to let you go. But don't threaten them. I, I love the work atmosphere that Boaz created. I mean, he could have been bitter like a lot of farmers were. I got to give all my gleanings to the leftover gleanings to the poor. I hate this. All these stinking poor people in my field, all trying to grab stuff like a bunch of... Uh, you know, animals. He could have been bitter, but he wasn't. Boaz just had this heart, this right heart before God. And when Boaz came out to the reapers, all these poor people trying to get leftover gleanings, he says, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, and the Lord bless you. Boy, that was a great work environment, wasn't it? Knowing that your own master also is in heaven. So don't don't do the minimum. Don't try to get away with the minimum to your employees. Realize 
They are kids of God, and you're going to stand before God, give an account. So bless them. Make every one of your employees feel blessed, that you're blessing them with your attitude. You're blessing them with an enjoyable work environment. You're blessing them financially. Colossians 4.1, Master, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven, for there's no partiality with him. That's the one thing that the Pharisees could count on. They tried to trap Jesus many times. Since you have no partiality, rich or poor, Gentile or Jew, or male or female, let's trick you with that constant. And here he's saying, whatever our role is on earth, It's but a vapor of time, isn't it? Everybody who's a slave, life's very short. And then we're going to be God's children, kings and priests unto God forever and ever and ever. So whatever your role is, realize it's just a vapor of time and make the most of the moment. Whatever God has for me, whatever that role may be, and we all submit in one way or another. Grab a hold of it, because great is your reward in heaven. Lord, thank you for your word today. Let it continue to go deep, deep, deep into our souls. These things that are rather practical are interesting, because we're not really getting into devotional message as we would like. But yet your word is full of inspiration, but your word is also full of information. And this is a time for all of us to regauge our hearts and our attitudes that we are not like the world, that we're not being minimized by the world's attitudes and the world's ways and the world's anger and the world's lack of faith. Our eyes upon you, God. In particular for our nation, Lord, you said if your people, you're not waiting for the non-believers to be less evil. You're not waiting for Satan to be less weak. You're waiting for your believers to repent over their sins. If my people humble themselves and confess their sins, repent of their sins, and then ask God's blessing on our country, you'll hear from heaven and bless our land. We know that's uniquely towards Israel, but we know all the promises of God are yea and amen to us. So we ask God that as we repent over our sins today, and as we come before you as believers, protect us, God. Protect us, Lord, from the communism and socialism. Protect us from the the evils, Lord, of, of persecuting those that are against abortion. Help us, Lord. Protect us, Lord, from those who are trying to uh, take away our freedoms. Lord, we know, according to prophecy, America eventually is going to be minimized. We're no major player in the world affairs during the tribulation period. But Lord, as that has happened, let us, Lord, cry out for revival in our souls and light and and gather as many sheaves into the barn before you rapture the church. Our life we lay to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.